Jesus says this in verse 18 and just kind of set the context. He just addressed them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which I'm sure added a ton of comfort, ton of hope, reassurance that they needed. But the disciples may be, may be now wondering, well, okay, what about you personally, Jesus? We, we kind of want to know, you know, what's going to happen with our relationship with you personally. So Jesus says this to them. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John Cacioppo, the director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago, is the world's leading expert on loneliness. In his landmark book, Loneliness, that's released in 2008, he revealed just how profoundly the epidemic of loneliness is affecting the basic functions of human physiology. So that's 2008. Can you imagine if he were to write this book now? Cacioppo writes this. He said, when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white blood cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell in a way that altered the genes in which and how they were being expressed. It's how deep loneliness goes. In other words, the author says, when you're lonely, your whole body is lonely. It's pretty amazing and pretty profound and sad, isn't it? Archie Sproul felt this loneliness, as do many others very, very acutely, when he lost his parents. He shares this. I was next to the bed more than 50 years ago when my father breathed his last. I watched death in front of my eyes and in that moment lost the person who meant more to me than any person on the face of this earth. I remember the pangs that I felt as a teenage boy when I lost my father's strength and guidance. So this was as a teenager. And he says, my mother died just a few years later. And he said, even though I was in my 20s and was a grown man, as it were, I really felt the pain of being alone in the world. There was no one I could go to in times of need for counsel, comfort, and support. No matter what the age, no matter what the age, I'm sure we all know, no matter what age we are, losing a parent feels like that, doesn't it? And losing a parent, losing someone who's been our support, our guidance, someone that is close to us can make us feel exactly what Jesus is saying here, like orphans. I, I know someone who has who lost a parent, and they use this exact word. When their parent passed, they said, I feel like an orphan. 
abandoned, alone, to face a very, very scary world without help, without guidance, without support, without the sharing, that mutual relationship, without that shoulder to cry on. The word here that Jesus uses for orphan drives its meaning from a root to be alone or to be deprived. In their culture, orphans were some of the most vulnerable people group in the world. Later on, James is going to tell us true religion is what? Taking care of two, two people groups, the widows and the orphans, for really good reason, because they've lost their support. They've lost their help. They've lost that, that guidance. And without it, it's a pretty dismal future. These were the fatherless or the bereft of a father, and it produced a very, very disenfranchised state. The disciples are going to experience this. They're going to experience this for a few days. Jesus is going to die, and it's going to send them into a state of feeling helpless, of feeling lost, of feeling abandoned. The one that has been there alongside of them, the one who they've turned to, they've grown to love Him, they've grown to trust in Him, they've grown to depend on Him, their rock is about to die and leave them. They're going to feel abandoned, they're going to be scattered, they're going to be afraid, and they're going to, they're going to wonder what's going to happen to us. Is the same going to happen to us? But Jesus gives them a promise. And he, he gives not just them a promise, but He gives a promise to all of us who trust in Him that Jesus will never leave us in that state of helplessness. That you and I, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, are never, ever abandoned by Him. Never. He promises His constant presence with us. us. And even if Psalm 27, verse 10, were to come true, though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take us up. He will receive us. I think we need to see the absolute importance of this promise with regards to our walk with Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing today. I have no idea. I know some of what individuals are facing. But no matter what you are facing today in your life, and no matter what is coming down the path for your future, no matter what it is, you never face that alone. You never face it without His strength. You never face it without His constant guidance. You never face it without His love. You don't face it without His grace. And if our world is thrown into total chaos, confusion, and disarray, 
Jesus Christ is your constant. He will never abandon you. You're never left to fend on your own. The whole world may leave you. The whole world may fall away from you, but He won't. You are His. He will watch over you. He will protect you. And He will make sure you make it home safely. Jesus gives... Two further promises that kind of explains this one. Two reassurances or assurances. I want us to keep in mind where where this whole discussion began. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? Isn't that where he started? One of the first things he said. One of the first things Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled I am never going to abandon you. First promise that we see, so not not only does Jesus promise not to abandon us, but He promises to come to us, and He promises a new living situation. Verses 19 through 21. So after He gives them this promise, He explains it in the following verses. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. You will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. July 2014, panel of scientists from NASA announced that they were convinced that they would soon find life outside of planet Earth. One NASA scientist said, We believe we're very, very close in terms of technology and science to actually find another Earth-like planet, signs of life on another world. According to this panel, they said that when he said it in 2014, within 20 years, they're pretty convinced they're going to find life on other planets, and that's a conservative estimate. They've outlined this plan using a, this satellite called trans, this Transiting Exoplanet Surveying Satellite, or TESS, uh, which launched in 2017, predicts as many as 100 million worlds in the Milky Way galaxy that could be home to alien life. At that announcement, Matt Mountain, director of Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, said this, Just imagine the moment we find potential signatures of life. Imagine the moment when the world wakes up and the human race realizes that its long loneliness in time and space may be over, the possibility we're no longer alone in the universe. Another scientist says this, when this happens, we will find out that we are not alone in the universe. Folks, if we see anything from this illustration, we have to see this is not just an exercise in science exploration, is it? It's not. It's a search for hope. It's a search for meaning, and it's a search for life. Whether you use a telescope or a horoscope or a psychic or whatever it is, people are wanting to have purpose People are wanting to have meaning, people are seeking hope, and people are seeking that they are not alone in this world. Look no further than Jesus Christ. 
because everything that these people are saying with regards to life, with regards to meaning, with regards to purpose, are found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So not only does he promise that he's not going to leave them, he actually sets up this really cool new living situation for them. And it's truly a living situation because when they believe in him, they are truly alive. But I want us to see the three things that Jesus kind of says is going to happen or that he promises them when, after, he, after he dies. He says the world's no longer going to see him. They're not going to see him in the fashion that they used to see him. And those who have faith in Jesus Christ, it's only to them to which he reveals himself spiritually, but also to his disciples to which he is going to reveal himself physically to them. So he's going to die, he's going to be buried, he's going to rise again, and then the world, they're like, they're going to look for him, they're not going to find him. Why? Because he's not revealing himself to them. But who does he reveal himself to? Uh, To the disciples. And again, if we go back to this idea of orphans, the fact that Jesus, the fact that Jesus promises his disciples that they are going to see them, see him again, gives us an idea as to why he he gave those resurrection appearances. Because, yes, absolutely, part of the reason is to verify the truth of everything that Jesus is saying. But I want want us to also see that one of the main reasons is that Jesus is reassuring them, isn't he? He talks to them like children by calling them orphans. He thinks, him, he thinks of himself as their father. And, and it kind of reminds me of the, of the scenario, you know, when, when the kids do the plays, right? The Christmas pageants, whatever it is, and you see the kids up there. And, and, and what happens? What, ha- what happens to those kids that are up there? And, you know, you could have a bunch of kids doing one of those Christmas pageants up there, right? And and you have like usually three or four that are just absolutely petrified, right? They're afraid. And they're not turning to their friends for help because you know what happens. You turn to your friends for help. That's it. You're scarred for life because your friend's like, you're an idiot. You forgot the lines. It's so embarrassing. And now they're like ready to weep and whimper. So what does that kid do? What does that child do? He searches the audience, doesn't he? Who's he looking for? He's looking for mom or dad, or he's looking for the one who supports them, the one who they can trust, the one that when they know that they're there, they're like, I can take over the world, right? That's exactly what Jesus is doing. And mom gives the, gives the little wave, or dad, or whoever it is, gives the little wave. And what's he saying? I'm here. Don't worry. You got this. That's why Jesus appears to his disciples. Just what he's promising them, he then reassures them by physically appearing to them. And then after that, he breathes his spirit on them, doesn't he? And he gives them this temporary infilling until when? Until Pentecost. So after those three days, they are never left alone. Do we see how much effort God is 
putting into reassuring our hearts that He's never going to leave us, ever. He wants us to know that we don't face this world alone. He wants us to know that no matter what we face in this life, nothing can ever take our life away in Him. Nothing. When you think about an orphan, what does their future look like to them? Looks pretty dismal, doesn't it? You think about the feelings that they're, they're experiencing. They're wondering what's going to happen to my future. They're wondering if they're even going to survive. That's, a, that's awful. It's awful that that happens. Jesus is saying, you're not going to experience that. As a matter of fact, you're going to truly live. And even if we die, it just brings about that life even more. And again, we have to see here that no matter what is happening to us physically, no matter what is happening to our minds, no matter what is happening to our bodies, no matter what is brought into our lives... We don't have a dismal future in Christ. That dismal future, that future of being deprived is absolutely gone. It's gone. Doesn't exist for the Christian. Whether we're able to do those things that we used to do, whether we're able to participate in certain spiritual activities or, or life activities, you and I absolutely never stop living in Jesus Christ. Never. In the life that we have in Christ, you and I can experience now and for all eternity. He promises us a future in which life never ends and only gets better. Disease, sickness, disaster, tragedy, they only appear to rob us of our future. But those in Christ, for those in Christ, it only really ushers in the real one. And I know that's hard because I, I want a comfortable life right now. I do. I, I'd be lying if I, I, you know, I like my comforts. I like my bed. I like my flannels. I like all these things in life. And when those things are taken away, I like my health. All of that. I'd be lying if I told you I don't want those things. But we have to understand that even if those things go, we never stop truly living. We never stop truly living. As a matter of fact, we live all the more when we live in Him. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we celebrated today, that He gave His, his life so that you and I can live. It's a life that keeps, keeps on going. 
and only provides a better future. What Jesus says here, and, and we begin to see that this is true spirituality, isn't it? He says that the world's not going to see him, they're going to see him, and they are going to live, another promise, and they are going to know. What are they going to know? True spiritual life. Where is true spiritual life found? Is it found in coming to church? Is it found in reading your Bible? Is it found in all the traditions? Is it found in your obedience? Nope, true spiritual life. Now, all those may be a manifestation of your true spiritual life, but true spiritual life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. True spiritual life is Jesus Christ dwelling in you and you dwelling in Him. At that point, at that moment, you have true spiritual life. Not as he, he's not only not going to leave them, he actually sets up this new living situation with them, with, with us, us in him, and him in us, and him in God, and we're all wrapped together into one big happy family. It's a mutual dwelling, it's a bond, and it's a union with the Trinity, and it gives us the greatest eternal security ever. I mean, people plan on ever breaking into Fort Knox. Nope. If you do, I can tell you how. Hopefully, I don't get arrested right after this. It's actually public knowledge. This is, was not public knowledge how to do it. Guy writes an article. He says, if you're planning to break into Fort Knox, uh, you have to climb the first, you have to climb four surrounding fences, two of which are electrics. So, okay, makes it a little hard. Then you have to sneak past the armed sentinels lining the perimeter. Be sure to avoid the video cameras, but don't waste time trying to blast through the granite walls. They are four feet thick, held together by 750 tons of reinforcing steel, okay? If you get past the armed guards inside, then you have a maze of locked doors that you have to get through, and then you'll be stopped by the 22-ton vault door. That's a ton of tons, isn't it? 22 ton. Don't despair because the vault can be opened, but only if you find all the staff members who know a small slice of the combination. You need all of them because not one of them knows the entire combination. Once you get inside the vault, you'll then have to break into smaller vaults that are tucked inside there. And then you can start taking the 5,000 tons of gold bullion stored there. But you got to be careful when you leave, because when you leave, you will be greeted by 30,000 soldiers from Fort Knox military camp anxiously waiting for you to be greeted. We think that's pretty safe. How many people are ever going to attempt that? No one's ever attempted. I actually looked that up to see if anyone was foolish enough to attempt it. No one's ever attempted it. I'm going to tell you something right now, folks. You are a gazillion times safer when you're in Christ. That's what he is saying to us here. There is nobody going to hurt you, touch you, take you from me. We are in him. He is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And Jesus is in the Father. So we're talking like 
quadruple spiritual divine security in Christ. No one's touching you. No one's touching you. Is Satan going to try? Yeah. Can he take you from him? Nope. Is the world going to try? Yeah. Can the world take you from him? Nope. You're safe and sound. The safest place in the world is for those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. It's that union. It's it's that bond that we have with Him that is the foundation for and the basis for our intimacy with Him and further knowledge of Him. So not only does He promise that He's not going to leave us, not only does He promise this new living situation, but you know when we lose someone, those conversations end, don't they? We miss those conversations. We don't get to share with them as much. And we don't have them sharing with us, but that's not going to end with Jesus. As a matter of fact, it only gets better. However, there is a condition to this one. So he promises further personal revelation. Verse 21. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. I want us to first see before we get into this that we have to be really, really careful here because the love that we have from the Father and the love that we have from Jesus is not earned by obedience, right? We have to understand that, that God's love is poured out on us, in us, and it is initiated by God. God has first, what, loved us, and we respond in loving Him. It's not saving love. However, this greater experience and understanding of His love and fuller revelation or fuller disclosure of Jesus Christ is contingent upon our loving obedience. That makes, I hope that makes sense. We're just going to be clear with that. We experience that more. We're reassured of His presence. We are, have a deeper understanding of who He is when we are walking in loving obedience. You know, many Christians, many Christians want all the automatic promises Right? Those promises are the ones that are by His grace and, you know, all those blessings that we have, that we have in Christ, that are not contingent upon anything. But this one is, isn't it? The question is, do we want this one? And if not, why? Do you and I want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? This is not knowledge about Him. This is knowledge of Him. 
This is a deeper understanding of his character. This is a deeper understanding of his will. This is a deeper understanding of his person. And in understanding him and growing in intimacy in him, we are going to grow in our faith. We're going to grow in maturity. And we're going to grow in our walk. So do we want that? I hope we want that. It's one of the reasons why I chose this book. One of the reasons why I chose this book is so that you and I can get to know Jesus much, much, much better. Because if we get to know him better and we love him more, what's going to happen? Everything is going to fall into place, isn't it? Everything else is going to come naturally. Because again, he hits on this idea of the one who is loving him is the one who is what? Obeying him. The two go hand in hand. Dean Gunther is a tattoo artist currently residing in, in Manchester, England. And when a recent client came to him with a bold idea, he was so stoked about the idea that he decided to do it for free. The client was a friend who hates working out. How many people hate working out? Be honest. Come on, folks. Every hand here should go up. Maybe some of you really like working out. He hates working out. However, he wanted to look like he worked out. Okay. So what did he decide? What did he want? He wanted to have a tattoo of a six-pack on his abs. That's right. He wanted to have this well-toned look of a six-pack abdominal muscle. So he asked Gunther to tattoo the look onto his stomach. I mean, this is, this is going to extreme. So this, this Gunther had seen some really bad six-pack six tattooed abs. So when this guy came to him and said, hey, I want you to make my abs look like I have a six-pack, he was elated. He said, yeah, I've been wanting to really take on this technical challenge. Plus, he thought it would be absolutely hysterical. Once they completed the two-day project, they took a video, shared it on TikTok to verify the rapidly spreading rumor of the six-pack tat, which, 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 which looks very real and impressive from a distance. Gunther's followers responded with a combination of disbelief and bemusement. One, one user summed up the approach with a simple phrase, if you can't tone it, tat it. That's a great idea. So if you, you want to look like you're healthy... Get a tattoo of six-pack abs. I'm not, I didn't show pictures up there, thankfully, or else you guys would have, there would have been some emails afterwards. But I'm out of the office, so I wouldn't have gotten those emails for another two weeks. You know, listen to what Jesus says here. It's not enough that we have his commands, is it? We have his commands all day long. We have to do what? Keep them. It's not enough if we look on the outside like we're what? Healthy. And, and I think that there's a lot of six-pack tats going around in Christianity today. On the, on, on the outside, everything looks good. There's this form of obedience that they, they look healthy, but in reality, their hearts are far from Him. They might say the right things, might come to church, might tithe, you know, might give an amen here and there. 
might learn a bunch of information, might know some Bible verses, but they're failing. They don't know Him. Why? Because they don't want to obey Him. They love something more. This life. This promise is based on our loving obedience. And I truly, truly hope that we're not just settling for the status quo in Christianity. I I really hope that you and I look at this verse and we say, I want to know you more. I want you to show the areas in my life and where I need to grow. My wife knows how much I hate this thing. Have you seen this thing? It's going around. I'm sorry if you love it or if you've ever done it to people. It's the hand heart thing. Is the open little hand heart thing. And I, I saw it all the time on America's Got Talent. American, yeah, you're looking at it like, is that a heart? Eh, pretty heart. It's like a, I don't know. And, and I see it all the time. And, and they're like, you know, they want them to vote. They, they, they think they know. The, they, they think they what? Love the audience. They're going like this. Love you. Yeah, love you. <laughs> right? And they're doing the hand heart thing. And I'm like, that's perfect because it's empty. That's exactly what it is. It's just empty. And, and, and I think a, a lot, you, you don't know me. Don't hand heart me. You have no idea who I am. And you only love people those you, you know, right? You can only love those people you know. I mean, you can show love. But I feel like a lot of Christians are going around like this to Jesus. We come here on a Sunday morning, we might be like, hey, Jesus, love you. Boom, gotcha. But then it's It's empty. It's empty. And they go back home, and they just live their lives, Saturday, Monday through Saturday. And they could care less about getting to know Him better. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is a relationship. It's fueled here on a Sunday. And the fuel here on a Sunday is for, is for what? Monday through Saturday so that we can live it out so that we can grow in that relationship with Him, so that we can grow in our obedience. And it's not just, it's, it's not just disobedience in, in sinful areas. It's submission to His will, what He wants for our lives, what He wants our priorities to be, where we're putting our energies, where we're putting our resources, where we're putting our hearts. I hope we're not doing this. I really, really hope not. And, and I think when, when I look at all of, all of the experiential Christianity that is going on right now, I think that people are expecting more from a Sunday service to have this emotional experience. Why? Because they're not getting it the rest of the week. Why? Because they're living in sin. They're, or they're living in disobedience. They're just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what your call is on my life. I know, what you, I know what the Bible says about all this stuff. It, it doesn't matter, Lord. I'm, I'm coming here, I'm going to hand heart you, and then I'm going to go home. And it's my hope and prayer that that, that, is, that is not us. I love what A.W. Pink says about this. It says, The manifestation of Christ 
is made to the one who really loves him. And the proof of that love is is not by some emotional display, but by submission to his will. There is a vast difference, he says, between sentiment and practical reality. The Lord will give no special direct revelation of himself to those who are in the path of disobedience. Amen? That's something we should amen. That's something we should amen. Why why would Jesus Christ share himself or reveal? We do this in our own relationships, right? If someone is hurting us in a relationship, am I going to open myself up to that person? No. Why would I? It makes no sense. So if we have boundaries... (laughs) Hey, and the Lord's just setting up boundaries. He's going, why am I sharing myself with you if, if you're just continuing to hurt me? Why, why am I going to give you more knowledge of myself and revelation of myself and of my will if you can't obey what you already know? I hope, I hope that if we look back at our lives and I, I try to do this. I don't know how I always fare, but if we look back at our lives, and you go back to three years ago, I truly hope that you have seen yourself grow over those three years. I hope that you can say, yes, I've grown in my walk with Jesus Christ, because if you haven't, and I'm not talking just about a dry period or anything like that. Those things happen all the time. But if, you, if you're stagnant, or you've regressed, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And this could be it. This could be it. You know, we want all these spectacular revelations sometimes, and, and we're willing to do a whole bunch of spectacular things and go on mission trips, go to seminars, go to events, listen to sermons. We're willing to do all of that, but are you and I willing to obey Him in the day-in and day-out workings of our life? Because that's, that's where it happens. And trust me, I'm preaching to myself. And I hope we see the blessing that comes from it, because the more we know of Him, the more we're going to love Him. And the more we love Him, the more we're going to obey Him. And then it's just, it's like, isn't it? Isn't it how, how it's going to work? And then we're going to look back three years and we'll be like, wow, I was an idiot. <laughs> I, I look back, my wife tells me, she reminds I, I, I remember those days. <laughs> you remember that time? It's like the Apostle Paul, you once were like that. <laughs> Some are still are, you know, but hopefully, hopefully we're growing. Hopefully we're growing, and hopefully this is the reason, not, not out of some legalistic righteousness, but because, because we love Jesus Christ. And the more we love Him, the more we're going to obey Him, the more He's going to reveal Himself. That's what a blessing that is. The more we're going to see that, we're going to be reassured of what? When we, when we see His guidance, when we, when we hear from Him through our spirits, we're going to be reassured that what? He has not abandoned you and me. I might have shared this before, 
Uh, but it, it really, really, really fits, I think, for what Jesus is saying here. It's a song. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. It's called Alone Yet Not Alone. Listen to these words. We're going to close with this. I'm alone yet not alone. God's the light that will guide me home. With His love and tenderness leading through the wilderness and wherever I may roam, I'm alone yet not alone. I will not be bent in fear. He's the refuge that I know is near. In His strength I find my own, by His faithful mercy shown. So mighty is His shield, all His love is now revealed. When my steps are lost and I'm desperate for a guide, I can feel His touch, soothing presence by my side, alone yet not alone. Not forsaken when on my own, I can lean upon His arm and be lifted up from harm. If I stumble or if I'm thrown, I'm alone, yet not alone. He has bound me with His love. Watchful angels look from above. Every evil can be braved. For I know I will be saved. Never frightened on my own, I'm alone yet not alone. Does anyone know who wrote that? Johnny Erickson Tata. If there's anyone in this world that felt helpless, abandoned, do you think she might have felt that way? But yet by some miracle, she pens these words. Jesus never abandoned his disciples. Jesus never abandoned Johnny. Jesus is never going to abandon you. Father, thank you for that promise. Thank you that you are our constant help. And no matter what we face, We do not face it alone, and we do not face it without your strength. We do not face it without your guidance. We do not face it without your love. What a wonderful, wonderful gift you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, for his glory and for his praise. In his name we pray, amen.